world's becoming a dangerous place for us women. Lipstick Bodyguard looks just like an innocent little lipstick, but it'll instantly drop any attacker to his knees so you can get away unharmed. Lipstick Bodyguard, fear no evil. Get yours today only at LipstickBodyguard.com. On this episode of Parents Are Hard To Raise, Diane answers listener emails about stress, caregiver guilt, and chronic UTIs. Plus some life lessons about resilience from an 80-something who's willing to just let it all hang out. Welcome to Parents Are Hard To Raise. Helping families grow older together without losing their minds. I'm elder care expert Diane Berardi. So a few weeks ago, we had my parents on, Annette and Joe, Cuff and Link, as my brother famously calls them. I hope you enjoyed them, but now I think I created a monster. My mom keeps asking me, when can I be on the radio again? <laughs> so she really enjoyed it, except now she says, but I have to think of something good to say. <laughs> so um, you'll hear them again, and I want to tell them, I did tell them, but they were so nervous. You know, it's intimidating to have a microphone in front of you, you know, it. It doesn't, you don't think so, but you know, you, you don't think properly. That's the first time you're like, you don't know what to say. And my mom kept telling my dad, you know, before the show, now watch what you say, watch what you say. Cause my dad is a jokester and you know, he'll say things that are not always appropriate or, you know, hopefully not offensive to anyone, but you know, he just says what's on his mind. He has no filter. So, um, anyway, my mom wants to be on again. She'll make my dad do it. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether he does or not. Because he was saying to me, I go, you guys did such a great job. And he's like, well, I really didn't say too much. <laughs> and I, maybe we didn't give him the chance. But I hope you enjoyed it and we will have them back again. So I wanted to, we're get, I'm getting so many emails, which I'm grateful for because anything, any questions you ask, they definitely will help someone else because I can guarantee they're going through a similar situation. So um, I got an email from Gloria from Florence, South Carolina, and she wrote, I gave up my life to take care of my mom. No matter what I do, it's never good enough. Or if anything goes wrong, it's always my fault. I've had it. But I know I'll continue to do for her and take the verbal abuse. What's wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with you. First of all, it's your mom. And, you know, any relationship is you know, you have two people, it's a relationship, you have two people, you're going to have two people agreeing and not agreeing. And that's just how it is. And the closer we are to someone, the more difficult it becomes. So, you know, and we as normal human beings, adults, we, we want to do good and that's more important to us than feeling good. So no matter what, we're going to try and we're going to do it. And you know what? And, you know, we don't, I, I don't know if that's, you know, if your mom, if you're taking care of her, I assume, you know, she doesn't feel well, she's sick and that could be, you know, part of her illness or, 
you know, she just lashes out. A lot of times if people don't feel well, you know, that's what happens. They lash out. You can think about when you're sick or you don't feel well. Sometimes somebody can get on your nerves, you know, and they're, they're trying to be helpful, but they just get on your nerves. So, um, you know, we just have to kind of go on and, and try to get over it. And it's tough. It really is because if a stranger says something to us, you know, or someone we, you know, just met, even though they shouldn't, but if they do and they say something to us, you know, that kind of insults us, you can you shrug it off, you can laugh it off. But we're more likely to believe, you know, the criticism when you know, our mom says it when a loved one says it, our dad, our husband, our brother, our sister, somebody close to us. You know, we have that default assumption where, you know what, my mom says it, so it must be true. And there must be something wrong with me. We start to believe, you know, whatever she said. And what happens to us is, you know, for our own protection, we don't even know we're doing it half the time, you know, we get angry, we get resentful. And, you know, even on a, an intellectual level, we know what your what mom says, it isn't true. But yet, on some level, it might be unconsciously, but we, we tend to believe it. And we, we take it in, you know, and we think about it, and it hurts, you know, I know my mom will always say, Diane, you're so sensitive. <laughs> And you know what? That always bothers me because I'm like, I'm not sensitive. That's like my first gut reaction. I'm not too sensitive, you know, and it bothers me. And if she says it, it must be true, you know, because she's my mother. or She knows, you know, and she doesn't say it to hurt me or, you know, in, in that instance, she's trying to help me, you know, say, well, you know, I'm, I take things too personally or whatever. But, you know, I do internalize it, even though my first instinct is say, I'm not like that. You know, I defend. That's what we do. You know, we're going to say, no, I'm defending myself. So, you know, things happen with the elderly, you know, your mom may not feel good, that might be, you know, her criticizing may be the only power she has, it might be her only, you know, sense of control. So there's nothing wrong with you in doing what you're doing. And you know what, if you wrote to me, if anybody writes to me and says, Oh, my gosh, I'm taking care of my mom, or I'm taking care of my dad. And I've been doing it. And everything is wonderful. Everything is perfect. You know, and nothing goes wrong. They love everything I do. I love them. And, you know, they eat whatever I make. And they, they change their clothes and they bathe and they go to the doctor and they I don't hear any kind of complaints and we're all such a big wonderful happy family I'd say you know what so this is fine this is something that probably you know so many so many of us go through so you're not alone Gloria and thank you so much for the email so I got another email from Sarah from Lebanon Tennessee and she said Mom has another UTI, urinary tract infection. I feel so guilty because I should have realized it. We had to bring her to the ER because she was so confused. There they diagnosed it. She's doing fine now, but I'm beating myself up. Why do the elderly get so many UTIs? Well, you know, a urinary tract infection at any age, the cause is bacteria entering the bladder. But as a group, the elderly are most likely to get urinary tract infections. And why? Because they're more susceptible. You know, they have other health problems that make them more vulnerable. 
usually the urinary tract infection in the elderly is further along before it gets caught. You know, first of all, they're already at a certain age where they go to the bathroom more frequently. So they're, they don't notice that urgency or that they're going more. And they, they may not feel some of the symptoms that we might feel, like burning. Their, their bladder muscles are weaker, so there's more urine that stays in the bladder. Their, their, their bodies are less efficient at emptying the bladder. And when that urine is sitting there, it's a breeding ground for bacteria. So another problem with the elderly is, you know, if they're in uh, diapers, they're sitting, sometimes they don't change themselves. You know, they're sitting in a wet diaper. They don't move. So now you're going to know, Sarah, because she's had urinary tract infections before, she has a greater risk of getting them again. We had talked about in episode 23 about um, how to prevent and detect um, infections. So, you know, if you want to go back, and I know we did mention their urinary tract infections. Um, with the elderly, their most hospitalizations for infections are pneumonia and urinary tract infections. So this is very common. So one of the things, you know, I tell people, um, you know, it, if you're taking care of your mom and she can you know, walk to the bathroom or, you know, make sure she goes on, on a, a routine. You know, she may not feel like she has to go, but make sure she goes. And, you know, like every two hours, if you're taking care of a patient, even with dementia, you want to have them on a bathroom schedule and have them sit on the toilet, you know, and then they can urinate, but let them continue to sit there. Because if you wait a little bit, you know, more urine is going to come out. So this way, you know, you, you want to make sure they're emptying their bladder as much as possible. And this is a big one, you know, I know bathing, we have to keep the area clean and dry. And and that's one thing, you know, it's hard with the elderly, because I'll, I'll have people say, Oh, you know, if, if I'm in a home, and there's a um, the nurse, a nurse out there, uh, doing a care plan, she'll say they have to shower every day or bathe every other day, or, or however she puts in, they'll say, Oh, once a week is fine. We don't do anything. We don't get dirty. And they don't realize, you know, we have to keep areas clean and keep them dry. If your parent has a catheter, you know, people with catheters are more susceptible uh, to urinary tract infections. You know, um, years ago, if you, the hospitals, they put a catheter in, you know, for weeks at a time, everybody got a catheter and put it in for weeks at a time, and they wouldn't think about it. But today, you know, hospitals are trying to reduce the use of catheters because of these infections. And also hospitals have to report if a patient uh, gets a urinary tract infection while they're there. So you have to be just very careful, very mindful of those things. But if you go back to episode 23, that may help you as well. I was in a house the other day, and um, this gentleman, he lived all alone. And <laughs> sometimes they have no guidance. And I, I was there, and, and fortunately, there was a visiting nurse there as well. And, you know, I try to... Um, ask, you know, especially while the visiting nurse is there and they're talking to the patient, I usually say, oh, can I walk around and see? Because, you know, there's certain things in the house you, you might spot or you want to just get a feel of how this person is living. And so I go into the bathroom and he has these, he has a catheter and he has these, uh, a towel and these leg bags, you know, drying on the floor, all on the bathroom floor on this towel. And so, 
you know, I say to the nurse, you know, go in the bathroom and <laughs> take a look there. So, you know, she goes in and she comes out and, you know, she says to him, well, what, what, what's going on here with those leg bags? Oh, well, he said, you know, I wear those during the day, a leg bag, which many people do. And then they put on a different bag at night, you know, a, a larger bag to wear at night. And he's, and she says, yes, but you're, so you're cleaning these bags. Oh yes, I clean them, you know, and then you could see that the bags were wet inside, you know, and so first of all, you know, yes, people do clean the leg bags, and there is, there is a correct way, and obviously, if um, you need to find out if your, your parent has a catheter for the first time, I mean, a nurse can tell you, your doctor can tell you, but, you know, there's a correct way to clean them with bleach and water, or, or white vinegar and water, which I know is, the vinegar is best for the smell, but they have to be cleaned properly, they have to be cleaned like, um, every day or every other day and they have to usually they are hung you know you have to shake them out and make sure there's no water that they're dry and you can't just indefinitely reuse them I mean they you know they say that you can use them maybe for two weeks the maximum a month you know so we are asking this gentleman you know how often are you using them oh I haven't bought them in a long time you know and so you know people don't know they don't understand and they don't think about it in infection and you know he's an, an older gentleman men and women get them of course women are more prone to them but you know we want to try to protect people from things that they don't know about you know and make sure that they're not vulnerable to infection by doing certain things but you know this particular poor gentleman he lived on his own and he has a daughter who lives far away and you know, he's using the same uh, Lancet to check his, you know, blood for diabetes. He's using the one. And, and the reason we knew that was, you know, I mean, we would have eventually probably found out because these are the things, you know, we have to find out when we go into a home. And it sounds kind of silly. Well, why would you ask that? You want to see, you know, their supplies. But, you know, people, they don't get the supplies. You know, they'll say, I can't take a shower because I only have one colostomy bag, you know, and that one, you know, or one leg bag. And so these are the things that, you know, we want to find out when we go into someone's someone's home. And you never know what you're going to find. Your parent is not an odd person. <laughs> these are problems that we all will face. <laughs> so don't feel bad. And I hope Gloria and Sarah... I hope I answered your questions, and please, we're so thankful that you wrote in. I want to tell you about my friend Katie. Katie is a nurse, and she was attacked on her way home from work. She was totally taken by surprise, and although Katie is only 5 feet tall and 106 pounds, she was easily able to drop her 6 foot 4, 250 pound attacker to his knees and get away unharmed. Katie wasn't just lucky that day. She was prepared. In her pocketbook, a harmless-looking lipstick, which really contained a powerful man-stopping aerosol propellant. It's not like it was in our grandmother's day. Today, just going to and from work or to the mall can have tragic consequences. The FBI says a violent crime is committed every 15 seconds in the United States, and a forcible rape happens every five minutes. And chances are, when something happens, no one will be around to help. It looks just like a lipstick, so no one will suspect a thing. 
which is important since experts say getting the jump on your attacker is all about the element of surprise. Inside this innocent looking lipstick is the same powerful stuff used by police and the military to disarm even the most powerful armed aggressor. In fact, National Park Rangers use the very same formula that's inside this little lipstick to stop 2,000 pound vicious grizzly bears dead in their tracks. It's like carrying a personal bodyguard with you in your purse or your pocket. Darkness brings danger. Muggers and rapists use darkness to their advantage. We all know what it's like to be walking at night and hear footsteps coming at us from behind. Who's there? If it's somebody bad, will you be protected? Your life may depend on it. My friend Katie's close call needs to be a wake-up call for all of us, myself included. Pick up a lipstick bodyguard and keep it with you always. Were you ever young? You're listening to Parents Are Hard To Raise. Now, thanks to you, the number one elder care talk show on planet Earth. I wanted to tell you, Lipstick Bodyguard, uh, it's not only a great product, but it's also 100% made in the U.S., and um, it's a great company that makes the product, and they're packed by the disabled, so summer's coming, you know, people go out for walks, Um, take one with you, you'll be safe no matter where you go. So my producer was just saying to me that, you know, he said, your parents were hilarious. He said, until they got on the radio, he goes, and then they were so subdued. And my sister even said to me, who were those people that didn't sound like daddy? Because he was just very quiet, you know, so, but I'm sure the real Annette and Joe will come out soon. (laughs) And this week, I wanted to welcome our new guests. It's all about Dixie. We had new listeners in Wilmington, Raleigh, Greensboro, and Asheville, North Carolina, Somerville, Florence, Spartanburg, and Beaufort, South Carolina, Atlanta, Augusta, Waynesboro, and Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia, Chattanooga, Lebanon, and Franklin, Tennessee. Wow. I love all of those places. I've been to three, have never been to Tennessee, but would love to come there one day. Thank you guys so much for listening. Welcome. So I got a call the other day from um, a client of mine, and he said to me, do you have a minute? I want to tell you something funny that happened to me. (laughs) And of course, and usually I know when he says, do you have a minute? It's usually like a 45 minute, you know, conversation, but it's okay. You know, he's all by himself right now. So, and the poor guy is in a, a rehab. So, you know, this poor gentleman, his wife had recently passed away and he took care of her for many, many years. She had a stroke. And then he was going out to get the mail one day and he fell on the ice. So, you know, at first they just said, okay, you know, he had, um, uh, I think some crushed vertebrae, but then, you know, 
further testing found out that he had has cancer of the bone. So the poor guy, you know, and they they've uh, he they have a back brace on him right now, and um, you know they're walking him, et cetera, in rehab. And he said to me, you know, I'm losing so much weight because he was in the hospital, you know, and then he's in rehab. And he says, but I'm eating three three meals a day, and then I'm eat I'm drinking some Ensure, you know, in between. And I remember, you know, um, when we had um, the MedX age, she told us, you know, we had to we had to have my wife gain weight. And so, you know, he's doing everything he could. He says, but I'm still losing weight. So he said, you know, I was walking with the physical therapist, you know, I was walking with my walker, he said, and you know, the physical therapist, of course, he always adds and tells me, you know, she's a beautiful young woman, and she's so nice, and she's so pretty. And so she was walking with me. And then there's always, you know, an aide behind them with a wheelchair in case, you know, he has to sit. So he says, and we're walking up and down the hall, he says, and all of a sudden, my pants just fall. He goes completely to the ground. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I started to laugh and he started to laugh. And he goes, I guess, you know, I'm losing weight. I didn't put my belt on tight enough. I go, well, what did you do? He goes, I was just, I said, oh my gosh, I would have been so embarrassed. He goes, no, I just was laughing hysterically. He says, and the age just picked up my pants and put them on and I see he goes listen you know I'm here he goes people are doing things for me that are very embarrassing who wants somebody to wipe you You know he says there's things that but what can I do he said it happened so I have to just deal with it he said so I just laughed I make fun of my body and I just laughed and you know I flew up all all that this poor guy has gone through and he was you know I didn't know if I should laugh at first when he told me because I was like, oh my gosh, what is he going to say? The poor thing, you know, and I did. I just started to crack up. So, uh, you know, and I'm saying this is a, a guy with such resilience, you know, he really, no matter what, nothing's getting him down. He just keeps going. And, you know, that, that resilience, it's that quality, you know, that, that, some people have that no matter what knocks them down, they come back and sometimes they even come back stronger. So he, he hasn't let, you know, the death of his spouse or now he fell in the ice. My gosh. I mean, fortunately, you know what he did and they found out he has, you know, cancer, but he's just, he could be so upset and so depressed, but you know, it's not, it's not consuming him. It's not overtaking him. And I know we talked about, um, geriatric resilience in episode eight, we had gone over that, but you know what? You, me, all of us as caregivers for our parents, we also have to have some of that resilience. You know, how, how do we do that? How do we, how do we get that? It's not, it's not inbred in us. It's not, you know, but what are certain, some characteristics, you know, or what, what makes someone resilient? Well, you know, they have a positive attitude and you know what? You have to work at that. You really do. I mean, there are days when I, you know, I wake up and I go, okay, today, you know, no matter what happens today, you know, I'm just going to be calm and, you know, okay, and just have to deal with things and you don't have to, you know, you try almost not to have any highs and lows in your emotions, but you have to work at it. What are resilient people? They're optimistic. You know, I, I think they, they kind of, if something happens, they kind of dismiss the experience as not negative, you know, but 
they just kind of say, well, I came up short on that. Like they don't condemn themselves for something, you know, maybe, you know, they say, oh, that mis that was due to an external factor. So, you know, they let themselves off the hook. They, they can regulate their emotions. And that's kind of what we have to do. You kind of have to do that. And if you're taking care of your mom or your dad, you, you kind of have to do that all the time. And you know what? They see failure as a helpful feedback. You know, I mean, in this poor guy's instance, you know, he was taking care of his wife and then he was going outside getting the mail. He slipped on the ice. And but like I said, it's good that that happened because they found out, you know, he had cancer. And so we we do we have to try to get some of that resilience and it's tough and it's hard, but we have to try to be, you know, optimistic because that's how you can continue to do what you're doing and, and go on. And, you know, we're never going to have, um, there's nothing that can prevent any kind of negative experiences in life or any kind of failures. And the hardest thing I think, because when you're taking care of a parent, you know, you, this is a big responsibility and you're going to do it. And a lot of people say to me, Oh my God, if I would have known how difficult it is, you know, um, especially, you know, you're taking care of a parent with dementia or Alzheimer's, you know, things that, you know, illnesses that we don't fully understand or you don't know, you're not, you know, you can't say, mom, you have to sit here and stay here. That doesn't happen, you know, so it's hard and it's frustrating and you just have to, you know, and we can't condemn ourselves and you, you know what? It's trial and error for everyone, you know, professionals, even professionals. And I always say, go to a professional, you know, for whatever help you need. But even professionals, you know, things don't always run smoothly. And you, we can't, even though we try, we can't strive to have, you know, a perfect life or a perfect way of taking care of them where nothing is going to go wrong. Very interesting article in the news. Um, I think this is great. The Hebrew home in New York, they're experimenting with aromas to see if they can counter age-related memory loss in people with dementia. So, you know, neuroscience tells us that our sense of smell is closely associated to our memory centers in our brain. So the Hebrew home, they're having these aromas professionally formulated, and they are producing smells that are reminiscent of hot dogs, popcorn, grass, leather mitts, and beer. So they're trying to remind people of baseball games in Yankee Stadium through those smells. So it's what it is, is these aromas are becoming reminiscent therapy. So they're trying to go back and engage in moments of joy in these people's lives. You know, if you recall, when we had talked about dementia, people with dementia, they often have trouble with short term memory. But that long term memory is oftentimes still there. It's just locked away. It's out of reach. So with this, um, you know, uh, aroma stimulation, they're trying to access memories of a healthier time. And they're measuring now, they're going to be scientifically measuring, you know, if their memories do, do improve, if they become less agitated and have a, a sense of satisfaction. I think that's a great study that's going on. And my survival tip of the week, breathe, just breathe. Focus on your breathing for a minute or two. Focus only on the air going in and out of your nose. Focus on nothing else. This simple exercise will help you calm your mind and calm your body. All right, sounds good to me.
<laughs> I'm going to try it. I hope this episode gave you some insight into something that you may be dealing with. Remember, the very best conversations happen at parentsarehardtoraise.org. So please go there right now and leave a question or comment so myself, our team, and the entire Parents Are Hard to Raise worldwide community can support you. Share as much detail as you can. And remember, your story can help someone else. One of the things we're all starving for is community and connection. So please join us. If you found something helpful in this episode, please subscribe to our show on iTunes or iHeartRadio. I'd be so grateful if you'd share this episode with your family and friends. Parents Are Hard to Raise is a CounterThink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York, under license of Broadcast Music Incorporated. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to reading your comments and can't wait till we meet up again on the next episode of Parents Are Hard to Raise. Till then, may you forget everything you don't want to remember and remember everything you don't want to forget. See you again next week.